This episode of the Fastest Known Podcast is brought to you by Koros. Wearables from Koros help you explore perfection by offering the longest battery life in its class for each of its watch models. For example, in full GPS mode, you get 60 hours of battery life. That's as much as the current FKT on Nolan's 14. Or track in ultra mode to get an astonishing 150 hours of battery life, enough to get an FKT on Vermont's long trail and then some. Koros is proudly worn by many great runners, including Camille Heron, Timothy Olson, Hayden Hawks, Magdalena Boulay, and many others. Track your next FKT with a watch from Koros. Visit koros.com. C-O-R-O-S dot com. Welcome back to the Fastest Known Podcast. 30 very interesting minutes with some of the best known people in the field. And this, today, we're talking with uh, a person who's literally iconic in the world of fastest known times. This person, as a female, set the overall record on the Appalachian Trail. She's written many books. We're going to get into that in a minute. Is a motivational speaker, lives in Asheville, North Carolina. And I'm, of course, talking with Jennifer Farr Davis. Welcome, Jennifer. Thanks for having me. Well, I think your website, and we're going to put the URL for your uh, your website on the uh, our show notes, of course, so people can track it down. But it says the byline is speaker, author, hiker. So you've come a long way. Uh, you know, two thousand. You of course were doing plenty of hiking besides your famous hike in two thousand and eleven, but you've come a long way since then. I think it says speaker, author, hiker, and you definitely do all three, don't you? I do. Yeah. And I've been working on it for a while. I actually started my business in uh, 2008, and the goal was to help inspire other people to get outdoors through writing and speaking and then guiding. And I have a separate website for our guiding company, Blue Ridge Hiking Company, and um, that organization helps get over 1,500 people a year on trails through day hikes and backpacking trips. So all that was actually part of what I was doing and um, working towards before I set any records on the Appalachian Trail. Gotcha. So you've been building up to this for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're going to put blueridgehiking.com on the show notes as well, the URL, so people can find that as well as your personal site. That's your guided trips, and both have links to your numerous books. But let's go back to that, uh, I should say, not that day, but that 46 days, 11 hours and 20 minutes in 2011, when you uh, set the overall record on the Appalachian Trail, not just the female record, and your the female record still stands. So that was probably your most public moment, if I may say so. Sure. Yeah. Um, But it was, um, you know, I like to note a lot of people who hear about that record, um, they are not aware of the fact that it was actually my third completion of the Appalachian Trail. And I had hiked a lot of other long distance trails before then, like the Colorado Trail and Pacific Crest Trail and a big chunk of... um, the Continental Divide Trail. And, you know, I've hiked on six continents. So it was certainly, you know, a, a chapter of my um, trail and hiking experience that's very, very dear to me, but a rather, you know, small piece of the pie when you look at the whole thing. Right. Well, if someone goes to your website, they see those things going back to 
2005 on the AT, and then next year Kilimanjaro, the PC2, the PCT, uh, the Long Trail in Vermont, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, the GR20 in Corsica, that's a really good trail. The Tour du Mont Blanc, France, Switzerland, Italy. Yeah, so you did quite a bit. And maybe we could say it culminated in the 2011 FKT. Well, yeah, but doesn't that make it sound like it ended? Because since then, <laughs> like, I backpacked, you know, 600, 700 miles in my second and third prim- trimesters of pregnancy and walked across the state of North Carolina while I was nursing an infant, which both I think were in ways harder than the Appalachian Trail record. So... Yeah, I'm happy to talk about it. I'm not trying to be difficult. I'm just trying to like put it in context as something I'm well known for, but maybe not like the defining piece of my outdoor experience. Good. That's a good point. Because the casual observer will know you for that, but not know you for the other things. And I uh, am familiar with the hardcover book, The Pursuit of Endurance. Uh, but you've you've written a lot of books, as it turns out. Your husband even wrote a book on uh, his perspective on the trail. But I think you've got uh, – I'm, I'm, I could be incorrect here, but it looks like you have about four books plus a fifth coming out plus a few guidebooks on top of that. Am I about right there? Yeah, it's somewhere in there. Several guidebooks, a family hiking book, a couple memoirs, and a coffee table book coming out next month. So it's up there. It's up there. Okay. Well, again, uh, listeners can go to our show notes, and I'll have links to your website where people can purchase these books or book you as a speaker. Um, And I should say that going back to that AT, hike you were given the became the national geographic adventure of the year which is a notable award you know after that scott jerk of course took it down but i think it was three hours eight minutes or so and he was he was working pretty hard to get that of course did how how what did you think about your hike in uh the 2011 one i should say Well, my hike, you know, it was really unique and special. And again, like part of a much larger journey for me, because I first hiked the Appalachian Trail when I was 21 and out of college, and it completely changed my life. And it was, you know, a traditional five month journey. And I always wanted to go back to the trail, but uh, I started my hiking company and was working really hard and I got married and I never thought I would have the time to go and do the 2000 miles again. But my husband was a school teacher. And at one point he volunteered, he kind of regrets it now, but he said, well, maybe I could help you down the trail in the summer months. And that was part of what um, made me think about setting an Appalachian trail record, knowing I had a shorter time frame if I was going to do it again. And I had been an athlete and an ultra runner and a tennis player and a basketball player and always just intrigued by what the body can do. But at that point, a big motivation was also, okay, I have less time. I have a job. I have a family, but there's also this men's record and every trail I had ever hiked, all the ones you listed earlier, I knew of men's records on the trail and I had never once heard of female records. 
And so 11 years ago, there was no women's FKT or record on the Appalachian Trail. And I was like, that stinks as a woman. Like if there's a men's record, I feel like there should be a women's record. And hey, now I have support and the bar's not even low. Like there's no bar. So maybe I can establish a women's record. So my husband helped me in 2008. I did the trail in 57 days, uh, an average of 38 miles a day. Together, we established a women's record. And at the end, I was um, disappointed. I was grateful for the experience and thankful for my husband's support. But I knew that I had limited myself in the beginning because I told myself that there was a separate women's category. And I figured, well, guys are faster and stronger. So probably I'll be like 10 days behind the men's mark. And that's exactly where I finished. And most nights I stopped because my mind said it was time to stop and not because my body was depleted. And I just realized speed and strength are diminished the farther you go. So when I, when I got to the end, I was not depleted. I did not feel horrible. <laughs> I felt pretty good. And I realized I could do the trail in a shorter amount of time. I didn't think at that point there was necessarily going to be a gender gap or difference. And I just hated that I had limited myself from the beginning. So that that's sort of what led me to go back and try for the overall record. Well, that's a good story. That's a good story. Andrew Thompson, 2005 in 47 days and change. And then you three years later, 57 days, you thought, oh, sure, I'll do it about 10 days slower. And you mm -hmm. did. Yeah. You, set, <laughs> you set the bar and you went right to that bar and then you realized you left gas in the tank and that there was, uh, you hadn't really quite hit your limit yet. Right, exactly. And I, you know, I never really thought we would go back again because it's, it's a huge sacrifice on the support crew and obviously a large amount of time away from work and home to do something like this. Um, so my husband, the next few years, we just worked and had shorter adventures, but then. The real kicker is we started talking about having kids, which we both always wanted. And now it seemed like it was the next step. And when that became the imminent reality, I realized that as soon as I became a mom, if I was lucky enough to become a mom, my body would no longer be my own as soon as I got pregnant. And, you know, my time would no longer really be my own. And I would go someone else's pace for an extended season. And so that was sort of when I realized how important and personal it was for me to know what my body could do apart from that on the trail that had changed my life. Well, that's a good story, Jennifer. I like that. I like that. And so you went back with a renewed sense of purpose in 2011. And that's a chunk. You, <laughs> you took 10, that's a big chunk. You went 10 days, actually a little more than 10 days, almost 11 days faster than you did it three years previous. Yeah, it's amazing, you know, what happens when you let go of societal expectations and just ask yourself what you can really do. So, you know, I put in the training and I had miles on the trail that made me think that that was possible and capable. And yet I still knew that anytime you're trying to do close to 50 miles a day on, especially on a, you know, rock filled trail, like the AT with lots of roots, lots of little technical pieces. There's a really good chance you're going to sprain your ankle or hit a bad storm or miss a 
road crossing with your support crew and fail. So like, I really had to come to terms with the fact that, you know, I'd probably fail. I didn't feel like that with the women's record. I knew no matter what I did, unless I got injured and couldn't finish that probably we would be successful. And so going into it, you know, the third time the thought was, well, I'm probably going to fail, but I think I can do it. And I want to try and I'd rather live with an answer than live with regret for the rest of my life. Mm, yeah, that's a good, uh, good one liner there. I see why you're a motivational speaker. That's a, that's a good one. You'd rather see what the answer is than never know the answer. But I think it went pretty well, didn't it? Uh, yeah, but it was interesting. Like, you know, the first 12 days and I started in Maine and New Hampshire, which was definitely the toughest part of the trail. And I just put a lot of pressure on myself to be hitting these marks as far as, um, miles per day and miles per hour and keeping up with Andy, you know, Andrew Thompson and, and David Horton and Pete Palmer and the previous record holders. And I had a really, strong knowledge of where they would have been on the trail and was constantly comparing my results to their results. And it was really demoralizing. And then I went through just the difficulty of the first two weeks, which I feel like for most individuals in these endeavors, the first 14 days are a make or break period where you're asking your body to accept a lot Um of stress and demands. And I, I got shin splints. I had really bad weather in the white mountains. And on day 12, I hit Vermont, but I got super sick. So at that point I'm just behind record pace. I feel horrible. I'm barely going like a mile per hour and I was ready to quit. And I told my husband that, you know, we were done and he could take me home. And I, I knew I couldn't set the record and he, what he told me, and I thought he would be relieved because just as a side note, I don't think it's surprising. This was not his like ideal way to spend a summer vacation. Um, but in that moment, he looked at me and just loved me really well. He just said, you know, if you really want to quit, that's fine. But right now you feel too bad to make a good decision. So you have to keep going till tomorrow. And tomorrow, if you want to quit, I'll take you home. So he said that and um, I continued down the trail and finally medicine kicked in and I was feeling a bit better, but still didn't think I had a shot at the record. Um, however, I, you know, began to think maybe if I really want to, I can stay out here. And so then the question was, am I out here for a record? And what I came to pretty quickly was, it was not the most important thing for me to be the best. And I thought maybe I could be, and I didn't want to limit myself, but it was very important and personal for me to find my best. And so I chose to continue not in pursuit of the record, but to find the knowledge of what my, my body could do on the trail that I love the most with the man who I loved helping me. And so psychologically it really changed, um, the whole experience from that point forward. And I like to say, you know, and up till day 12, I was basically like running someone else's race. And from that point on, I was on the trail that I love with the man that I love doing what I love. And that led us to finish in 46 days. There you go. You uh, had external motivations and that's, that's uh, the whites obviously are very cruxy, particularly for weather. And, uh, 
you got slammed there and then you reformed it. You recalibrated, you went from an external environment to an internal motivation. That's a terrific story. I think, uh, I bet many people can relate to that, Jennifer. Yeah, especially like high schoolers. <laughs> I think, you know, they feel a lot of pressure from numbers and comparisons. And so, you know, letting go of that and just focusing on what you can do and what you can do well is really powerful. And I'll also say, you know, I think about high schoolers, maybe because I speak to that group pretty frequently. And I know it's like a high stress time. But I'll also be very honest and say as a working mom, I also like struggle with this idea of like, okay, our business is never where I want it to be numbers wise. And we have all these competitors. And then I come home and I'm so depleted and I want to love my kids well, but I hate cooking. And I compare myself to my mom friends who are great cooks and always have clean laundry for their kids. And I have mountains of laundry in my house. And I get the same way where it's like, oh my gosh, I'm just like overwhelmed. I'm demoralized. And then like, if I think, cause I think to this record and I think to this really defining experience and I'm like, well, what can I do well right now? Like what's the best I can give in this moment? How can I work smart? How can I love my kids? Like, well with the best of my ability, even if it's frozen pizza, but a lot of like love and affection and reading them books. So yeah, for me, that was a really, really valuable life lesson. And I'm super grateful for it. Well, that's, uh, I see why you do the public speaking, because that can, like you say, be extrapolated elsewhere. Uh, high schoolers, that's a good example. Nowadays with social media, uh, more than just high schoolers, with social media in general, there's this expectation, isn't there, that everyone's kind of looking at everyone else, and it's a lot of, we, we, look at me, and everyone looks like they're doing terrific except you. And so it can be a little odd sometimes. And I think your message is to internalize it and do what has meaning for you. Absolutely. I mean, I think social media has some real upsides, but it's also allowing everyone else to vote on your experience um, through likes and engagements. And it's like, well, your experience shouldn't be defined by, you know, external applause. Like it should really be driven by like intrinsic value and morals and what's important to you. Yeah, indeed. Well, these are good life lessons. So uh, again, listeners should go to the show notes on the website, get a link to Jennifer's website. And what would you say, you have a, a number of books, your most recent one, not including the one that's about to come out, The Pursuit of Endurance. You have a few more. If someone is going to start with a Jennifer Farr Davis book, which one would you recommend? Well, it's like, I feel like when you are an author, your books are like your kids, right? So <laughs> we love them all in different ways at different times. Um, if, you know, for this podcast, like if people are interested in FKTs, then the pursuit of endurance is definitely like the go-to book because it's interviewing like the personalities behind some of the most noted records on the Appalachian Trail and Pacific Crest Trail and specifically asking a sports psychologist and also a physiologist about the extreme endurance that it takes um, to, to set these goals and reach for these accomplishments. But my first book is still our bestseller. It's called Becoming Odessa. And it's about my like life-changing five-month 
backpacking trip to complete the Appalachian Trail and very much a like coming of age journey. Um, so if you're, you know, maybe a runner or an FKT athlete and interested in this different aspect of long trails that is through hiking, then becoming Odessa might be a, an interesting read as well. I see. Interesting. I wonder if, uh, if people, if there'll be hordes of people going out onto the AT after reading that book, like there was after reading Cheryl Strade's book, Wild, on the PCT. You know, I think the PCT got a 20% bump after the movie came out. Yeah, that was, uh, yeah, it really shifted the landscape of the Pacific Crest Trail. I think mostly in a positive way. The Appalachian Trail saw that after Bill Bryson's famous book, A Walk in the Woods. They got a huge bump from that, which is another very funny, captivating um, trail narrative and memoir. So, yeah, those are two really great books. When you did the AT, was it basically you and your husband? Yeah, it was a pretty close-knit support team. My husband, um, he is a great athlete. He runs, plays tennis, plays basketball. But he had had ACL surgery just a few months before we started. And the doctor had told him that he really shouldn't try to walk or hike in any more than like a quarter mile. So he was super limited to road crossings. And... You know, knowing that we did call on some of our friends within the trail community, you know, two previous record holders, Warren Doyle and David Horton, both came out at different times to help us out. Matt Kirk, another incredible FKT athlete, he came to assist us at one point, but it was also like, um, my brother came out at one point, my aunt who was in her sixties came out to walk a mile or two with me, my, my friend's retired father. And that was the nice thing because I actually hiked the entire trail and it was like certainly a good, um, clip of, you know, Vermont South about three miles per hour. Um, but it allowed for a lot of people who wanted to do short stretches with me, they could, but no one ever hiked with me for a full day. Well, uh, <laughs> of course, that's because few people could. Yeah. <laughs> but if Horty, Horty was David Horton, I mean, Horty doesn't come out. It's hardly an AT record, is it? Yeah, he likes, yeah, I think he definitely likes being a part of it. But it was actually hard. Like, Horton and I are pretty good friends and we've known each other for 15 years now. But um, he came to help us right after he had really injured his knee to the point where he knew that he wasn't going to be able to do much running or hiking long term. And that was a very hard time for him. And then I was hiking and he wanted me to run. And so he didn't like that. So we actually felt some tension while he was there. I think it was hard for him seeing someone do something that was so important to him and his identity. And he knew, you know, he wasn't going to have the ability or capacity to keep up with me in the trail or do what he once did. And then he was always yelling at me to run. And, you know, we were <laughs> in, in mostly a good natured way, but we were like, you know, at this point we're in Virginia, like we've got 1600 mile miles behind us. We're doing really well right now. This is what works for us. Um, so, yeah, I think it's an interesting thing. I mean, support is such a, uh, 
I think, you know, they talk about the numbers of the records when you get to the end and how many like miles you covered and how many calories you ate. But to me, a really, really important and often overlooked aspect of these endeavors is the support. And it can be really tough because as an athlete, you never feel like you're your best self. You're always tired. You're always hungry. You're always depleted. You're always wanting and hoping for more from your support person. And on the other hand, they're giving you as much as you've got. And then sometimes the dynamics and and emotions um, cause tension and conflict. And those are really hard to resolve in a positive way when you're also trying to like put out a 50 mile day. So that dynamic is just like um, really intense. And I think understood by very, very few people. Maybe only by the people who've done it. So, for example, Darcy Pizou, uh, she talks about this, and Chrissy Mail talks about it as well. Chrissy, in particular, really likes that aspect. She's a people person, as she says, and other people aren't. So that's a good point, Jennifer. Uh, the crew can make or break the trip, because if you're on a supported trip, your, your crew is just working almost as hard as you are. Um, Here's an interesting segue then. So after you, there was Scott Jurek and then his friend, uh, Carl Meltzer. But then String Bean, Joe McConaughey, came back and took the overall time down self-supported, which I thought was a remarkable feat. But then other people are, are saying, well, yeah, I mean, obviously, that was fantastic. But at the same time, if you really are good at this, it's almost not that much of a disadvantage. And then, as you know, Carol Sabe, the Belgian dentist, I think he tuned up the techniques and he took a chunk of time off uh, last year. Now, this year, I don't know anyone going for the FKT. I think it's gotten too fast. So how have you seen the evolution and would you speak to the supported versus unsupported efforts? Uh, well, I think what Joe McConaughey string bead did is incredible. And um, I think it is apples to oranges when compared to a supported hike, um, because I think he also held himself to the standard of not getting in a car along the way. So logistically, it's just way more of a puzzle and you're far more limited with your resources and you're having to carry more. So I think his accomplishment really blows the um, supported records that he beat, um, you know, my record and Carl's record and, and Scott's record, what Joe did was far more impressive than our marks. However, this is a note I will make. The self-supported record, what it is now, when people are beating the self-supported marks of 10 years ago or 20 years ago, there is a huge difference between those um, feats just because like, Smartphones have revolutionized the game and so have like GPS. So if someone's doing like an FKT on a trail that requires a huge deal of navigation, like the Continental Divide Trail, and 20, 10 or 20 years ago, people are pulling out handheld maps and compass versus today just doing a quick check on your smartphone. That's a huge difference. And like 20 years ago, someone would have planned all their um, reprovisions, all their resupplies, like before they hit the trail. And if they did that incorrectly, they really, really suffered because of it. 
And now a self-supported athlete doing an FKT can Amazon Prime something two days ahead. You know, so there is a big technological advantage to a self-supported FKT athlete. But that's not, that's just to distinguish like the records of 20 years ago from now. It's not in any way to diminish what Joe McConaughey did because it's so impressive. And then like you said, like, where um, Carl or Carol um, Sabe took the mark the next year, like I didn't think it would get there for, you know, 20 years or more. Like he took, I think, four days off the record and made it look pretty easy. So it's, yeah, it's really incredible to, to see what people have done with the AT record in the past two years. Right. Good point. Indeed, uh, you can Almost any route now, well, actually any route, you can go into Google Earth, use CalTopo and map it out yourself or download, if it's a popular route, download it, the GPX file, and load it up and follow it on the Gaia app on your phone. And you can bring out charger for your phone, uh, uh, extra battery pack. And like you say, you can watch that phone and you are either on or off that trail. It's pretty clear. And right. paper maps and compass, hmm, <laughs> well, they're harder to use. And you can make errors and it takes more time. That's a good point. Yeah, it has changed a lot for sure. Well, Jennifer, what is up next for you? Of course, you have this book coming out, a coffee table book. That means it must have some big photos in it. Uh, there's that. But is there any uh, uh, projects, uh, recreational projects, or is it professional projects? Anything. What is coming up for you? Well, yeah, the coffee table book, I actually partnered with um, a watercolor artist who's well known in the southeast, and he painted 100 watercolor scenes of the Appalachian Mountains. And then I wrote this long allegorical essay to complement um, the paintings. So it's a really cool project. It's called I Come From a Place. And that launches next month. And then um, Blue Ridge Hiking Company this year opened a lightweight backpacking shop in downtown Asheville with the best like independent and craft and cottage industry gear on the market. So that has been a fun and rewarding new endeavor. And then we also opened a bunkhouse on the Appalachian trail in hot Springs, North Carolina. So we're right on the trail. We have a 10 person bunkhouse and the thing that I'm really proud of with that um, new venture is we have gear rentals and shuttles. So traditionally, we've been a guiding service. And we've had a lot of people come to us who want to get on the trail, but don't need a guide, including a lot of experienced trail runners. And so now a lot of them are staying at um, our bunkhouse, and then they're getting shuttled 20, 15, 35 miles away and running back on the trail to the bunkhouse or renting backpacking gear and doing the same. So those have been fun and good new ways to make the trail accessible for folks and get them out there. Um, but the thing I love the most is just, you know, going outdoors with like my two and six year old, which I'm not going to say is always like this perfect magical thing. We have meltdowns on the trail. Like we have our moments, like we have sleepless nights and campgrounds, but um, it's just a really wonderful way to be outdoors. And I love seeing it through the eyes of my kids. And um, yeah, it's just, it's a real joy to see the trail through their experiences. 
And on the flip side, I try like my two weeks, quote unquote, vacation, because, you know, I'm self-employed and work for myself. But I do try to spend two weeks a year backpacking. Um, So just traditional backpacking on trail, mostly by myself. And I don't have any real desire right now to pursue FKTs or, or participate in ultra races or any of that. But I still have like this really deep desire to spend time outdoors and that's filling that void in a really wonderful and I think necessary way. So yeah, that's kind of what's going on these days. Jennifer, you have a wonderfully holistic and balanced lifestyle. I congratulate you. Oh, it's not balanced. I just balance extremes on a day. <laughs> I'll go really fast and then go really slow. And and ultimately, maybe there's some equilibrium to that. But no, my my husband certainly doesn't regard me as balanced in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> well, we'll let the listeners decide, decide for themselves. Jennifer, I thank you for your time. <laughs> 